I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The transfer window is upon us, and that usually means a fuss over the footballers you want your club to sign along with headlines over the fees involved, including wage figures that widen the eyes. We know his contract situation at Manchester United. His agent, Mina Raiola, has been pretty outspoken over the last couple of months as to what might happen for the future of Paul Pogba. Trading season has always been viewed through the prism of the deal itself. Who is the target? When will the switch get completed? How much for and how long for? But on this episode of Between the Lines, we delve into the hugely important facet of what makes a transfer successful. A focus on player welfare. My definition of player welfare, but I think it works okay, um, is ensure and maximise the health, performance and well-being of all players. Billions of pounds exchange hands during a summer window and the seasons of clubs can be made or malfunction based on what they do in the market. There's no big one, I'm afraid, no. Gary. You know, we tried to hook a big one, but it got away. Have you ever wondered what are the factors involved in a new signing hitting the ground running? Or why a talented player, brought in for huge money, fails to settle and is labelled an expensive flop? It was a lot of money, um, but I'm, I'm sure I can um, do what I need to do to, to prove that um, the money was worth it. There are football reasons, for sure not being stylistically suitable, not being able to adjust to the manager's demands. But the most common thread is a lack of care off the pitch. In recent years, elite clubs have become increasingly geared to think about transfers in a more holistic sense. They are paying astronomical sums for players and it makes sense to invest in them as humans and not just a new asset. For a coach or a manager, uh, having the information of what these young players experience in their own countries and their own educational period, it gives you a huge advantage to understand the footballer and to understand the human being. If you don't understand the human being that is holding the footballer, you'll never get the best of that footballer. Player welfare departments have grown, but they're not yet viewed as significant as sports science or analytics. Joining us to underline how crucial it is and why it should be taken more seriously are three experts who are heavily involved in the before and after of the transfer process. To set the scene, we talk to a recruitment specialist to understand how the scouting process works in terms of looking beyond a player's ability. 
David Webb, former head of football at Huddersfield Town, former technical director at Ostersud, and over 15 years of various roles in in football, of head of recruitment, head of coaching at clubs such as Tottenham, Hotspur and Southampton FC. In clubs of scouting a player, there's obviously quite a big focus on his technical aspects and stylistic suitability for the team. But how much of the process is spent looking at their character as well, their life away from the pitch and ascertaining just how those elements would also fit in at the football club? Yeah, I think it's... um... It's a, a pre-request now to delve more into the characteristic side and get sort of a social profile of the players and look at sort of a background history to give to give teams an, an indication of how you sort of integrate within the squad. Um, there's sort of various ways you can do that with um, getting information from trusted sources, social media, reliable contacts, and looking at sort of his potential sort of playing history that he's had before him and to give you sort of a base base of that and that can give you um just as much strength in the market as uh, some someone's sort of technical and tactical characteristics because once those bits have been established I think the characteristics now is is such a key role to play especially when integrating into new squads You've said it's a prerequisite now and over your time in the industry, have you noticed it being given greater importance by clubs? Yes, I think I, I, I think my first experience, um, Melissa, is I've, I've been doing this now, it's probably since 2003, 2004. So the game's definitely changed in terms of, of how it um, looks at players. It's a lot more scientific and a lot more statistical. And I suppose the characteristic side has probably come in more over the last six, seven years, especially at the more elite clubs. Um, and where I was at Tottenham, that was a um, a massive, massive part of our recruitment strategy because especially for someone like Maurizio, who see the changing room as such a sacred place. So a player's character integrating into um, a team such as Tottenham and also giving him the information to know how to integrate him into his squad, you know, as much information we could have on the player's background, um, his family situation, where he'd come from, if there was anything that we needed um, to know, sort of, if we got to that stage before, prior to signing, so we could get the preparation before he came into the building. So everything in terms of his characteristics, it was trying to get a match as much as we can into his environment where he was coming from to the environment that he was coming into. Do you feel that clubs that aren't investing into that side of things, into understanding the person, are missing out? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that aftercare, as you just put, is is key. And that's where the work um, definitely during the scouting phase and when you're about to sign the players in terms of background and characteristic profiling is key because that's sort of once he's in the building that's that's sort of only half the job done the second part is the aftercare and having that information to say for example if he was coming from another country if he had children um, there could be sort of a language school nearby that could help integrate into that process it could be certain things where um like specific family needs it could be stuff where um to help him come into that where he needs time to adapt where 
he can give to care on, on where he needs to live, schooling for children, or all these sort of things to try and take the pressure off the player in a way that he hasn't got those sort of day-to-day stresses of stuff of because it's hard enough coming into a new club as it is. So the club, especially when I was at Tottenham, helped really help manage that process off the field so he can just concentrate on performance on the field. And that's and that's key, as you say, you're dealing with human beings, you're dealing with individuals, and everyone's got different circumstances when they're coming in to join a new club. So information beforehand, which you can use during or the aftercare stage is, is critical. Now, when you work in recruitment, there can be quite a personal tie into whether a player fails or succeeds because you were partly involved for bringing them into the club. Are there examples where you felt, oh goodness, you know, I really thought that was going to work out and it didn't because the player wasn't taken care of off the field as well as they should have been? And on the opposite side of that, have there been occasions where the care from the club has been so good that it's seen a player integrate really well? Yeah, I, I think I can give sort of both examples of that. So um, when I was when I was head of recruitment at Bournemouth, um, the club's first signing um, was an overseas signing of a player called Tequilo Ranti from a club called Malmo in Sweden. He came in, he came in with um, all the good scouting recommendations and player observations. He's a player I knew at my previous club well. We'd gone to watch the player live with the management team, um, Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall at the time. And it was a striker that the club needed. Um, and there was a time frame within that that they wanted this particular type of striker. So um, we did a lot of work um, to get him into the club on terms of statistical and the scouting reports. And we did a little bit of size of on the social and the background. Um, and on paper, he was a, you know, he was a fantastic, you know, fantastic signing for the club and a record signing, but probably due diligence on, on our behalf that we didn't do enough um, because there were sort of ongoing problems in the background with Tequilo from his family side and his wife wasn't well, which was affecting performance off the pitch. Now, um, we could have found out basic information like that beforehand, and because Tequila was a very likable player in the dressing room, um, he had all the attributes to succeed, but he was coming in with his ongoing problem. And if we'd have knew that beforehand, we could have, you know, give him a lot more preparation and a lot more ongoing support to help him settle in to knowing that that side from the club because he was based in Bournemouth and his family was still based in South Africa, that we we would have understood that and helped it and helped him more get through that situation where it affected him more and it came to a stage that he actually brought it to Bournemouth's attention probably about six, seven weeks in when he was struggling for form and struggling for goals and struggling for performance. So that's a situation that could have been avoided with this was back in 2013 with a lot with a bit more due diligence on the positive side of that there was um on terms of looking at players players coming into the club there was 
a player at Bournemouth, um, a player called Dan Goslin, who was um, coming from Newcastle at the time during the, during the same period as a free transfer. And this is where we probably learned from our mistake a little bit where he really wasn't coming from overseas, but we did our homework to a high level degree where we knew that where Bournemouth was based, that he originally come from Plymouth, which was sort of in the southwest region of the country. His family was situated around that region. He was looking to come back and he was looking to be more settled in more of a family environment type club. And that sort of base of support and being nearer to his family was a you know decisive factor in him signing for us. And we made sure that we knew that information and we utilised that to the best of our advantage. And that gave us sort of an edge of one of the competing clubs looking to sign Dan at the time, who was a free transfer from Newcastle in the Premier League, to come to come to Bournemouth in the Championship. And having that information, doing that due diligence and doing that research and speaking to sort of relevant people that could give us that information and trusted sources, give us the edge on signing him. So that probably gives you sort of two good examples of, you know, for and against that same year. Do you feel clubs should actually be investing more in player welfare, given how much they spend on these assets and how important it is to player retention and to success? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's always more that can be done to support the players when they come in. Um, And especially now, we've obviously given the current situation in, you know, the pandemic, it's it's probably even it's probably even more important to look after the assets you already have within your organisation, um, and uh, when you're because the spending is not going to be so um, vast as it was, the players that you are going to be bringing in are going to be rather than potentially where a club could have been signing maybe one to two or three even three players during this period might only sign one or might just bring a loan in then it gives them that more focus of care on that one particular player to um, one, they've done all their work to make sure it's the right signing for them and to be in that they've invested in it now. And it's only a one, you know, one potential signing that they're invested in the, in the players aftercare to give them the best chance to succeed because that's probably going to be their own investment at this period. So focus will be on giving the, you know, the player every chance of success. Have players become a lot more aware of the welfare situation at clubs? Is that what you found during your time in recruitment, that they're doing their due diligence as well now, getting testimony from their friends, international teammates, and building their own picture independently from everyone else's opinion? Yeah, of course. Um and I think it's, you know, that shows a forward-thinking player because, you know, it's not only the clubs looking to invest in, in in the player from the asset side. The player, if he's interested in a potential club, has got to make sure that, that that particular transfer and that move is going to be right for him. And then, you know, if he has a family family as well. So speaking to maybe, maybe colleagues or, or friends that he knows at the club or someone that's played for a particular manager or it can give a bit of inside information of um, sort of the clubs in, inside the training ground and what the environment would be like and that sort of how players are treated. I think a lot more, especially the elite level, a lot more are you know 
if they've got one or two offers, they can afford to do their due diligence more before they can make a more informed decision about their own sort of choice where they would like to go. We've had the head of recruitment angle, and now we'll explore how much stock agents put into the player welfare element of transfers, which is not just the club's job, but essentially theirs as well. Hi, my name's Sam Stapleton. I'm the um, former managing director of Star Sports and Entertainment, and also former managing director of Rock Nation Sports. Um, and now I'm the CEO of newly formed Rept Sports. Um, I've been an agent for nearly 20 years now. It's all I've ever done. It's all I've ever known. I've seen lots of changes through that time. Um, hundreds of deals uh, within domestically and, and internationally. Given your experience in this industry and how you've seen it evolve over time, do you think within the agent sphere and when taking clubs into consideration, there's been more of a look at how teams are helping their players settle, how they're looking at the welfare of their players. Yeah, I think it's important and it's become more important. Um, so we're probably, we probably understand it a lot more now than we did uh, many, many years ago. But, you know, there's two parts of it really with the player welfare. It's, it's how when doing a transfer or moving a client, it's how they're going to look after that client as soon as they get to the club and then the, the long the long run of how they're going to look after that client. So whether it's, you know, looking after the, do they have a psych department? Do they constantly check in on the mental wellness of, of, of players, you know, the long-term side of it and also um, around injuries, etc. But the, the short term for an agent within a deal, does it make a difference when doing a deal if the club doesn't have a player care officer or doesn't have a player liaison officer? Probably not. You know, it's not we're not going to walk away from the deal because there's no one there to look after the player, but it definitely helps. And 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 now the money that's spent on players, the the assets that these clubs have, you know, there's no reason why they shouldn't want to protect and nurture that asset as much as possible. Um, yeah, it's an outgoing cost for the player for the club, but in the long run, to look after that player and to make sure nothing's wrong and for the player to settle down as quickly as possible, then. It's um it's a huge advantage now for me, particularly in doing deals from abroad. These players are coming from countries or leagues where you know they 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 have no idea how the how let's just say Premier League they have no idea how things operate in the UK. You know if you think of you know us here if you if you move jobs or you move to a different city then you know all the things that you've got to sort out but coming from a different country player welfare side from a club is that they should have someone and you'd be surprised at how many don't but they should have a player liaison officer there who will do everything for that player when he comes in so so to relocate to relocate the family to do schools to to sort the car out to sort the house out and to sort insurance out you know all those sort of things to help your clients help the the player settle into the club but more than happens and more not is the the agent does that if the club can't do it you know for me when I'm moving a player you know I fully expect and will do all of that as a service now if the club have someone then that's a huge bonus and that makes my life a lot easier um, but generally there's not you know we've had 
players that have got into a club and it's look we need we spoke to the club that we need help trying to source a um source an apartment for the player whatever it might be and then all i get is a a, a whatsapp with a with a right move search and, and that's like okay crack on so it's not it's not ideal so but there's but as an agent that's got to be part of your service is what it is it is at ours that when that player comes in we want to try and make that transition and that player settle as as easy as possible um so i think it is important it is very important but i don't think it's necessary it, i think it's more of an added bonus if you move a player into a club and the club is switched on with regards to that then it's more of an added bonus Players are increasingly doing their own due diligence on clubs by speaking to their international teammates or employees they may have previously worked with. How much influence can these kind of testimonials have on a potential deal? Yeah, 100%. I think sometimes clubs forget about word of mouth. Um, you know, if you, if you treat the players right and you do you go that extra mile for the players, then it does they do talk. And when we have players going to a club, you know, I always encourage the player to speak to we will go through the squad list we'll go through everything right who do we know that's been there recently who do we know that's there now I'll encourage the player to do that and I'll do that myself also because I want to know um I'll do a little a lot of research around uh wage structure who's on what um who negotiated recently what they got you know I have to do all that with fund negotiating the deal for the player so I think I think it's huge as you say you know the religious side of it but also um coming from abroad the language side of it if you know if you're coming from Spain and you know there's a couple of spanish players there already it helps um and players are always honest they'll always well with regards to how they they're talking about the club they're always honest and they'll always say yeah it's great club's great they may say the club's great manager's useless don't get on with him or look the training ground's not great but the manager's great and they 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 do everything they can for you you know so all of those all of those things do make a difference um and and coming in you want to know what the what the infrastructure is like what the staff are like the coaching staff what the training grounds like um what the stadiums like um so yeah and the best way to do that as a player is to speak to other players that have been there or or are currently there so yeah it does make a big difference if one of your clients has had a really bad experience at a club where they were left to fend for themselves and felt isolated, would that impact future deals you do? Yeah, I think it depends on the options that you've got. If you're lucky enough to have two or three similar options, then yeah, it's definitely a negative. Or if you if you believe the player goes in there and he's not right for that manager, then you've got to you've got to give your client the best chance of succeeding. So being the agent you have to obviously do the deal which is the main crux of it but you have to ensure that that player settles as quickly as possible to give him the best the best chance of succeeding to just do what he does on the pitch now if the if you hear the manager is not great with foreign players or the manager is not great at certain things then yeah you definitely keep that in mind and depending on what other options you've got you know all you can do as the agent is put everything in front of the player do your research tell him everything so nothing is a surprise so if the player then makes a decision on look okay that manager's got a bit of a bad reputation but i believe i can go in there or you know we ensure that the manager speaks to the player before and that he's very much wanted i think it's just having an understanding of knowing what you're getting into and then you can you can tackle it from there but yeah i, I agree i think if clubs don't look after their players properly players talk 
and it can be a negative, you know, it's definitely a, a comment in the negative column when you're going through um, the advantages and disadvantages of joining a club. Do you have any examples of transfers that you've been involved with where clubs have really gone out of their way to help players settle? And do you have examples where that hasn't been the case, where there has not been that sense of care? We've had players, I think Premier League are better at it. I think as you drop down the leagues, it gets worse. But I think we've had players go in and, you know, they're excited to go in. They've they've spoken to team uh, sort of international teammates that they've got um, and saying, look, it's a great place to be. And they're in there and they settle very quickly. Um club call them every day everything okay anything we can help with you know into a hotel straight away and then they've been uh, immediately after training go and look at two or three apartments um, we've had clubs like that you know the top end of the Premier League where they do they do fully understand and they'll do everything for that player to make sure that him and the family are settled quickly and then we've had other players perhaps go one in particular actually went to a they were championship at the time and he was left to fight for himself and, and we helped did as much as we could for him but for example you can't you can't be with them every single second of the day and at the end of the first week after training at the end of the first week from going back to the forwards and training he had I think it was four speeding tickets because he just had no understanding of um, our road system here with regards to speed cameras, etc. And it was it was the same, same speed camera on the way into training that week. Um, and then you have to sort all, all, all that out. Um, but yeah, we've definitely got, had examples of players that are just left to fight for themselves. But that's, listen, we, 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 we make good money as an agent and that's got to be part of our job is to, is to do all of that. And, and especially if the club don't. So there's no excuses really as an agent. If a player doesn't settle or struggles to say, well, the club didn't help. It's well, that's kind of our job. It's only an added bonus if the club do it. But yeah, the top end of the Premier League and they'll 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 do everything for the player because they understand that they've spent a lot of money on that asset and they want them they want the player to be the best that they can. What you've said there in terms of there being no excuses, I think it's important to recognize that sometimes no matter what you do or how much help there is, a player still might not settle or perform to his best for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I say no excuses because if you've done everything that you can for that player, then it's not an excuse. It's just, it's a, it's a reason. If the player doesn't settle and you've done everything you can, then that's, as you say, it's one of those things. And it does happen. It does happen. Um, but it can be as simple as, coming into the club and, and the cliques within the club. So in the changing room, there's the there's the group that speaks Spanish, there's the group that speak English, there's the group that speak Italian. And it can be very daunting. You know, we all remember the first day at school, you know, the uncertainty. That's what these guys go through every time they move club. And yeah, you might know you might know one of the guys in there and it helps. But there are loads of loads of different reasons. Also the the missus might be coming over and has to look after the kids in a new country and, and she may not be happy. She may find it really difficult, which in then turn makes um, makes the player, the partner um, struggle. So yeah, there are lots and lots of reasons as to why it can't work, but our job and the club's responsibility is to just try and do as much as you can for that player to limit and, and, and to, give, to give them the best chance of success. But if you've done all of that 
and you can look yourself in the eye and go, right, I've done all that. We've tried as much as we could. We've gone out and got um, language lessons. We've gone and done extra work with a psych, a sports psych, or whatever it might be, and it doesn't work. It's like, okay, well, that, that's not an excuse. It's a reason. We then, we then deal with it. I want you to, to walk me through the, the personal touches that are involved in terms of a transfer with the player and how important it is to actually understand the person behind the player when, as an agent, you're trying to get any deal over the line. Yeah, I think, well, you know, for me, the clients that I'm involved in and, and when I bring clients on is, you know, I get, I get very emotionally probably attached to the clients. And that, for me, is the way that I get the best out of myself is that if I'm if I want to do everything I can for my client, my friend, then it's no problem being up at four in the morning doing things or doing them doing things for them at ten o'clock on a Sunday night, whatever it might be. That's that's all cool with me because that's they're they're part of my my roster, my 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 friendship group, my my family. So I do take a real interest in the client. And then when when you're coming if they're coming from abroad into this country, then you have to do everything you can to make that as as, as personal for them. If, you know, if, if they're coming to a new country, they don't know anyone. Then for me, it's important that they see they see me at the airport as soon as they land. It's a friendly face, so you make sure that you then pick them up. You then take them into the club. You then make sure that they're back into the hotel or whatever it might be, and you just try to check on them every single day, is trying to give them some sort of familiarity to be to those personal touches make a big difference. And then also family. Family means everything to to the player, obviously, as they come in. So make sure that they are looked after, the family's looked after. If the, if the wife and kids are coming along, then make sure that that's a priority, that they're sorted. Because if the partner's moaning that the schools haven't been sorted or can't find a nanny or whatever it might be, then that's really, that, that does affect the player. And people forget that. So sort the family out as soon as possible so that everyone feels settled. You know, if they're coming from abroad, then then make sure they have a few of the home comforts. You know, I've had that before where I've organized ham- hampers from different countries to make sure that they feel, you know, it's, it's, it's just little things that make sure that they, they feel they feel at home. Um, and that that has to be, you know, they sound silly things and, they, you know, but it can make a big difference for a player when they're, when they're coming across. So those personal touches and being there for the player, being there, making sure that that player can call you any time of the night. You know, I've had players call me at 3 a.m. Um, because you can't get the car out of the car park or whatever it might be. You know, it's, it's we've got to be there for everything. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This week on Stakhanov. Throughout January, Clash of the Titles are letting you pick the films being battled out on air. Already binged your way through Netflix during lockdown? Listeners Alex, Vicky and Chris rediscover and tear apart old and new favourites alike week in, week out. I like here, though, that Michael Bay starts as he means to go on. I made a list of sort of Bayisms from this sequence. Uh, low angles, lens flare, dry ice, washed out colours, military hardware, men marching, orchestral score, guitar riffs. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're looking for some much needed escapism... Why not catch up with the Abroad in Japan podcast? Chris was recently joined by Joey the Anime Man to discuss mastering conversational Japanese. That's a really interesting topic, bat channeling, which is where you kind of go, oh, oh, so not that. In Japanese, if you don't do the every now and then, then people just think you're not listening or you're ignoring them. All that and a whole lot more at Sakanov. You might still be wondering what exactly player welfare entails and the scope of it. To break it down, we've brought in a pioneer in the area that has established a department at two Premier League clubs and now has the UK's first player care consultancy company. So I'm Hugo Schechter, um, recently left my position as head of player care at West Ham United, um, where I was there for two and a half years. Um, previously at Southampton FC as the first team player liaison, where I was at three and a half years. And before that in um, America in second division in a club called Indy 11 as team operations manager. Um, and now I run my own business, um, which is a player care consulting business called the Player Care Group, um, which seeks to advise clubs, organizations, um, 
both in the UK and around the world, on how to uh, either start their player care provision or improve what they've got now. Um, so yeah, working with clubs, federations, leagues, whoever really. So yeah, really exciting times. Hugo, to start off, I think it would be quite helpful to pr- to frame what exactly player care entails to the listeners. Um, the common perception is that it's just about, you know, helping change a light bulb or sorting out a new set of lost keys. But can you give the audience a greater understanding of, of the role? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's 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 looking after everything that's not football or medical. Um, and, you know, we, you know, you, you think of players as being professional athletes. Yeah, but they spend probably four hours a day at the training ground and they spend, you know, the other 20 hours a day not at the training ground. So it's important that, you know, those things are, are taken care of. And so, you know, while the, you know, minutiae of the logistical details such as keys and light bulbs are important, um, it's really kind of making sure that there are no distractions off the field um, and that the club's investment into these players, which is often substantial, is, you know, is made in a way that they can succeed as much as they possibly can. Um, and and so, so many times we see players who are unable to settle, unable to um, adapt. And sometimes it's a footballing reasons, but a lot of the times it's, it's not. And um, it, it makes no sense for clubs to spend, you know, tens of, of millions of pounds on players um, and then just kind of leave them to their own devices and, and risk it really. It, it's, it's a risk from the club's point of view to not look after their players. So, yeah, I think I think it's really evolved over the last, you know, I've been doing this seven, eight years now, but it's really evolved in that time. Um, and certainly some clubs do it a lot better than others. But um, yeah, it's really looking after everything. And, and from a well-being point of view, you know, making sure um, you're doing, you know, not just finding the house, but the right house or finding them, you know, solutions that work for them. And ultimately, player care departments want a player to be 100% settled at a club and, um you know, that's what we, we we strive to achieve. Can you give a few examples to the listeners of what would be involved in player care? I know it's not just about the footballer himself, but, you know, taking care of his family and making sure they're settled as well. Yeah, I mean, I think every player is is an individual and, and they're also a family group normally. You know, they either have, have you know, a partner, kids, friends, whoever, um, parents, whoever's their sort of important sort of support bubble. But, um, you know, each player is so different. Obviously, when you arrive, you kind of have the the onboarding process, which is sort of house, car, bank account, visa, phone, um, and schools of the, the, the kids um, and English lessons. And then after that, the player's kind of a little bit more self-sufficient, kind of get around a little bit. And then it's it's focused on the long-term things. But, you know, every player has their own priorities as to what's important. Um, so, you know, um, worked with one player fairly recently who, you know, he said his mother is his world. So, you know, it's it's a case of making sure that his mother is involved with everything and is happy with everything. And that's, that's his culture. Um, and there are some players who, you know, literal lone wolves who, who come in, you know, they just want to have a place where they can, you know, hang out and, and play video games. So, you know, that, and that's fine as well. So, you know, it's, it's trying to look at the individual and, and seeing what we can do. Um, but, you know, like a, a classic example would be a player coming over from, from Europe who, you know, can legally drive in the UK, but actually he's never driven on this side of the road before. So while he legally doesn't need driving lessons, um, just getting him a couple to go out either with a driver or, or with someone, um, you know, just to teach him the road signs, teach him the, the rules of the, of the, 
of the UK roads, but also, you know, how to how to drive, you know, because if anyone's driven on broad on holiday or or whatever, then it's it's often an experience, you know, where you're a little bit unsure. And, you know, these guys are often driving expensive cars. So it's little things like that, but you know, it's also the, the major details, you know, visas, you know, getting them registered in schools with the GP or that kind of stuff. And I think you know, if, if you put yourself in a situation where you're moving to a country you've never been to before, you know, often age 18, 19 with, with little education, you know, would you have known how to find a car, you know, pay council tax, all this kind of stuff. So we're just trying to basically support them through it. And some players want more, a lot of help and some players don't. And that's perfectly fine on both regards. I think what you mentioned there is very important because it does get lost a bit sometimes how young most of these players are that yeah. come over and suddenly they're in a new country, new culture, new language. Mm. A lot of times living away from home for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, apart from all the, the footballing adjustment, um, trying to understand a new manager's demands or trying to integrate in, in a dressing room and all that stuff, the scary elements are actually off the pitch. Like you say, mm-hmm. council tax, legalities, new rules. Yeah. Um, and when you speak to managers, they will say that a player cannot perform if the person behind it is not taken care of. And that's where player care does come in and is so fundamental. Is there a little bit of an irritation that it's not seen yet uh, externally as important as maybe, you know, sports science and analytics, things that get them performing on the pitch? Because uh, as we've ascertained, if they're not taken care of, the performance isn't really going to follow. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously that's that's what my business is for. So I'd be a little bit annoyed if, if everyone took it very seriously right now. But no, I think it's grown massively. And I think, um, you know, I've worked with seven or eight different managers now and they all had different approaches to player care, different interest levels. Um, but, you know, like it's, it's certainly growing. And I think... Um, just seeing the positive impact you could have and and also removing that negative impact because you hear a lot of times of players sort of not settling and then not working out or got, taking a loss or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's, you don't really hear the success stories where players, you know, if, if they've hit the ground running, it's, it's down to them, you know, and it is often there's a lot down to them, but it's only when they struggle that kind of the spotlight gets turned on them. So, you know, I think a lot of clubs, you look at the, the staffing they put on for everything at the training ground, which was, you know, I said probably four hours a day, you've probably got 45, 50 full-time staff in the Premier League looking after the players in that, in that time. And at a couple of Premier League clubs, you haven't got anyone looking up at them off, off the pitch. Um, but, you know, majority of them, it's like one or two people. And, you know, that's 20 hours a day compared to four hours a day. And, you know, so it's, it's, you know, I'm not saying that you need 40 people because that would be ridiculous, but I think, it's growing and I think people are starting to appreciate it more. I think the common sort of accusation that's thrown at footballers is, well, we pay you a lot of money. You should be able to sort this stuff out for yourself. And I think, yeah, that's fine. But why would, why would a club take the risk? Um, You know, it's, you know, it's like buying a 10 grand TV and just sort of, okay, well, I'll just buy a cheap one pound plug from the pound shop to go and plug it in with, you know, you're not going to do that. You're going to buy the best cables. And so I think it's, it's, the thinking is kind of turning a little bit and I think you see clubs doing, you know, various different things and 
as I said, some clubs do things really well and some clubs not so much, but it's, it's growing. And I think, you know, it's, it's being seen as more serious, but still, I don't think you'd ever get to a point where um, it's, it's viewed alongside, you know, medical or, or whatever, but I don't also think it needs to be. I just think it needs to be taken seriously and, and resourced properly. And, you know, at the end of the day, if a, if a player signs for £5 million and leaves for £3 million a year later because he hasn't settled, that £2 million gap would pay for the department for 40 years or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's you're not talking about a lot of money and, you know, also the players pay for everything themselves. So, you know, you're really only the cost of the club is the staffing cost. So it's not an expensive department to, to run, but it can have massive benefits, um, you know, off, off the pitch and, and on the pitch really as well. We've spoken a lot about transfers and it is a multi-billion pound industry in football. So it, it figures that, you know, you should try and do as much as possible to help players settle and adjust and, and feel happy in their surroundings. But it's not just about that actual initial transfer. It's so important for player retention and for referrals. Absolutely. And I think players do talk to each other. And I think football's such a small world that everybody knows somebody who's been somewhere, you know. And, you know, I know that I was surprised actually by the amount of research the players had done on me when I moved from Southampton to West Ham. A lot of them already knew who I was or had kind of made inquiries through national team teammates or people they played with or whatever. And I was kind of taken off. I was, I was caught off guard by the fact that they actually did care and they'd inquired to see, you know, what's he like? Is he good? Is he not good? Whatever. And, you know, that's just personally, but it happens with clubs as well. And I think, you know, you know the reality is that player care not only settles the player in, but also brings the club and the player closer together. And a lot of the time, the clubs are asking the players to do, you know, player appearances, all this kind of stuff. And actually, um, yes, it's contractual, but actually you get to a point with with some of the players that the money is kind of, it's it's not the big driver. It's, it's you know, whatever else, you know, the big thing you can control with footballers is their time. And so, you know, a lot of them are like, oh, I don't really want to do it. But when, when they've got a good relationship with the club, it's much easier to get player appearances done. So from, again, from the club's point of view, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but I've worked with players who, you know, have had offers from other clubs and are so happy in the area with, you know, at the club, you know, their families are happy, their kids are happy in schools. They've decided to sort of sign a reduced contract at their current club or happy to sit on the bench or whatever, because actually to uproot the, the family for a bit of money and to go play somewhere far flung that, you know, they're not really going to enjoy it. They're actually like, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty happy here. And I think that's a sign when player care can really work for everybody is, you know, is when you can see that money side of it, but really, you know, there's people as well trying to support them and, and just, there's not really a reason not to do it other than just, we just don't do it like that. And I think that's kind of the, one of the big barriers I'm, I'm facing at the moment is trying to just, convince people actually yeah let's get two or three people in you know good people into to do this properly because of the benefits and there's not really downsides to it really some people here's looking at eu government view footballers as villains to others they're absolute heroes given your close-knit role with them how do you view players I mean, yeah, I think in like in any work environment that you have, you'll have co-workers you like and co-workers you don't like, and there'll be good people and not such good people. But on the whole, they are, you know, good people. They are bored a lot of the time, to be honest. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of them are curious about the world. But, you know, I think a lot of the most interesting conversations I have are about politics or about, you know, 
different different sort of general knowledge topics really and 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 current events and i think you know one of the things i was proud as well as at west ham was you know when the election came up last year when i, I sort of spoke to a couple of british players I was like you guys voting and they're like no 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 we don't get involved in that don't get involved in that and i said well, well you know why not and they're like oh we're not interested don't know anything about it whatever and so i said well you look you know i think it's worth you learning about it because it could affect you quite substantially whether it's through brexit it's through you know taxes it's through whatever and i think it's worth you guys looking into it and actually i think within about a week we kind of spoke about it a couple of times just informal chats and i think four of them went and registered to vote and then i think two or three of them actually voted and you know it wasn't about you got to vote this way or that way you know that's that's not what i was trying to do but just trying to get them engaged in the process and I remember sitting with one one younger player who was like reading all the different, you know, party manifestos and stuff like that. And for me, it didn't really matter that which way he ended up voting. It was it was the fact that they were engaged in the process. And I think a lot of them are just they're not really sure about the world because they are quite cocooned. And so it's it's interesting for me to try and build that sort of general knowledge about stuff. But, you know, I think a lot of the time they, you know, do some players do stupid things? Of course they do. Um, but a lot of them are just, you know, good people, are a little bit bored who, who want to try and do the right thing, but aren't really sure what they should be doing. And, um, you know, there's a lot of sort of community work that we end up doing with them and, and all this kind of stuff. And some of them are, you know, they just want to sit and play video games all day, which, you know, okay, you can encourage them to do other things, but if that what keeps them happy, then, then fine. So, yeah, I think you've got a lot of different people, you know, a changing room is one of the most diverse places, you know, in the world, because you've got guys who would never meet each other normally, coming together to win games. And I think, you know, you've got, you know, a Japanese guy sat next to a guy from Senegal, sat next to a guy from Holland, sat next to a guy from Poland, sat next to an English guy, you know, like it's just not, you know, what you would see in a normal environment. And actually these guys do get on really well. And some of them are good friends and some of them are just, you know, the typical coworker that you say hello to, you work with and you go home and you don't speak to them again. So, you know, I, I think they do get a bad rep. Sometimes they deserve it, but on the whole, they are good people who are a little bit unsure. They're, they're, they're very frightened of doing the wrong thing. Um, and a lot of them see, see that pressure, whether it's on social media and the press, you know, that they're going to get jumped on and, and you know, criticised for something. So a lot of them just don't do a lot because they're worried that something they do do is, is going to be criticised. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I enjoy working with, with players. I don't think that, you know... I don't count most of them as my, as my, my friends, they're more just colleagues, but you know, they're, they're, a lot of them are, are very good people. We've had guests on this show and the Adam Lalana episode immediately springs to mind where it's been pointed out that teenagers have to carry themselves like 26 year olds in the game now because of all the scrutiny with social media and such. Does player care drill down into those aspects as well? Yeah, I think we try and be you know, we're not psychologists, but we, we try and just be someone that they can sit and talk to. Um, and, you know, we have psychologists, you know, either in-house or, or outside that either us or the medical team will sort of push them towards. But yeah, it's it's no no secret that the mental side of football is tough. And especially for the younger kids, you know, there's a big sort of safeguarding push at a lot of clubs now. And, you know, I work very closely with the safeguarding department to make sure that when we have, you know, we've sometimes had 16, 17 year olds coming on preseason with us or whatever. And, um, you know, you forget their kids, you know, that they, they might be playing alongside a 35 year old, 36 year old, but actually they're, you know, 20 years younger. And um, you, as often they're physically, you know, you know, big guys and, and well-developed and everything like that. So you've kind of forget that they're so young. Um, but, you know, it, it's, you've got to treat them 
individually as well, but also if they're in that environment, they've got to step up, they've got to be on time, they've got, you know, we've had a couple of teenager players who, you know, are not morning people as teenagers tend not to be, and they struggle to get up in time for training. But, you know, that's not, we're not going to be like, oh, well, that's fine, we'll do training at two o'clock for you. It's no, no, you're going to be in the first team, you're going to get up on time. But, you know, it doesn't mean that you're you're cruel and you're heartless. It's just, you know, they're basic expectations. But, you know, so many times you just sit with a player and have a coffee or, um, you know, you're traveling often for, you know, when you're in Europe as well, you, you're traveling every two or three days with these guys. There's a lot of downtime, grab a coffee, you know, go for a walk, play, you know, even play like a board game or a card game with someone just to sort of get them chatting. And, you know, every player is different. But, yeah, you want to support them because at the end of the day, we all want everyone to succeed. It, you've just got to be supportive for these guys and, and you know, be there and, and, and be a safety net, but someone to talk to as well, because a lot of them, I think there's a loneliness problem in football, especially with the sort of higher profile players when they move to this country, because, you know, if someone's nice to, if someone's nice to you or me in a pub or in a, in a restaurant or, you know, at some sort of event, you just think, oh, you know, a nice person trying to get to know me, whatever. When it's with footballers, they've probably recognised who they are, and then the player's like, well, is he nice to me because he likes me as a person? Is he trying to get boots, tickets, shirts, whatever? And I think a lot of these guys are really lonely. And so want someone they can trust to talk to, um, you know, to go and just just speak to. And, and I think that's a major issue in, in football. And there's not one that can be fixed. It's just, you know, that's what it is. But it's another issue that I think people don't really often recognise. I, I think as well, we've we've seen a culture in modern football where it's all about the transfer happening, you know, mm. announce whoever. Yeah. And once that happens, once the player is announced, it's the cycle of, okay, who's the next signing or what mm. next? Or mm. it, you just want the transfer to happen. You want the player to be successful. And all the in-between areas just don't really pay much attention to. And I want to know from your perspective. So, you know, the signing has been announced, there's the unveiling video and all that stuff that goes with it. But from a player care perspective, what are the steps? What information are you guys giving the players? Uh, how are they informed about, you know, the club itself, the area, uh, what they need to do moving forward? And j just talk me through the process. So, I mean, to be honest, by the time they've been announced and the video's done, we've probably been with them already for sort of 24 hours. So often the player care person is the one that picks them up from the airport, um, you know, takes them through the medical. Obviously, the medical staff do the medical, but we kind of do the logistical support around that, you know, meeting their families. Often there's a time where the contract's still being sort of worked out. So you're sat with the player trying to entertain the kids and, you know, the department that, that I set up at West Ham, you know, we, we put together this real in-depth um, starter process really and it was you know we had we'd go to every signing with you know a coloring book and coloring pencils for the kids and um, we had this sort of 35 page welcome pack which is excellent you know in translated into different languages a nice sort of leather bound folder where you know we want that first impression to be like wow I'm coming to a to a big club here um, but you know little things like well they need to fast for the the blood tests but they probably haven't eaten all day so what are things that they could eat they can't eat all this kind of stuff so it's just it's all this stuff that actually by the time they've been announced there's so much that's already happened um, but really it's about trying to you know when you're moving to a new job anyone moves to a new job that first day is is terrifying let alone if it's in a new country at probably a day's notice 
um, in front of the world's press. I mean, most of us have never dealt with anything like that. So it's you're trying to just sort of be that calm person who can give them information, sit with them, talk to them, and, and make sure everything runs smoothly and efficiently. And you know, sometimes there are hiccups with agents or with contracts or with negotiations or with medicals or whatever. And it's you know, sometimes it's just sat there. Let's have a pizza. Let's have a, let's have a chat and just you know, not worry about it. Let's put the football on or put not put the football on. You know, let's just chat about life. You know, and try to distract them a little bit. So. You know, we've we've got so many different things. You know, where are they going to stay? Where are the family going to stay? Obviously, with the coronavirus, you know, we've got the bubbling. You know, they testing, quarantine, the isolations, all this kind of stuff as well. But there's so much that goes into it to make it smooth and efficient. And then once they sign, then it process. You know, the second process starts, which is you know settling them into the club. Because you know, for example, we would have, I'd have a you know a bunch of mobile phones and SIM cards in my in my drawer at work where I can activate them at 20 minutes notice so that they've got a phone so they can talk to people, um, you know, without data charges or whatever. And that's like a little thing where actually, you know, the normal, you and I would go down to the high street and, and, you know, queue up and get, well, it's not now, but normal, in normal times, go and get a phone. But actually I've got an agreement with a company where we just, you know, stick the, stick the SIM cards in and give it to them. And that, they've got that night one, you know, they've got a bag of adapters. They get this little welcome pack and it's got an adapter in it and it's got this and it's got that. Just little things where we've tried to take the stress out of them, where it's probably been a really overwhelming day, but actually they get back and they're like, you know, you, the worst is when you get to a hotel room and you're like, oh, I haven't got an adapter, you know, and little things like that where people don't really think about it. Actually, that makes them a little bit more settled, a little bit more ready. And the result of that will be the first game where they hit their potential is maybe one game sooner or one day sooner. Well, that's a good thing for the club because every point counts, every goal counts, every performance counts. So, you know, I think it's trying to go into that detail where you really make them feel special. And then, you know, you're looking at the houses and the cars and all that, but that's that sort of day one, day two, Whereas, you know, what we're talking about right now is day minus one, um, which is you know the day before they sign and all that. And then in terms of you, are there any cases that really stand out for you in a sense of where the players settled so well and you feel like, you know, you played a small part in that or you don't have to mention the names or anything like that, but, but stuff that sticks out for you where you feel like, oh, this is actually such a rewarding thing to be a part of yeah I mean I think there are always players you think you've done better and worse with and I think for me I, I actually try to focus on the ones I've done badly with because those are the ones I've, I've learned from the most um, and I, you know as I've got older and more experienced obviously the, you know the number of those players goes down you know quite substantially but I think for me it's when the kind of the, the marker of when you've done a good job is when you don't work with that player anymore. Either you've left the club or they've gone somewhere else. And if they keep in touch, then you know that they really respect you and, and, and respect what you've done and, and appreciate the help. And I think, you know, looking at some of the things that have gone wrong, you know, I think I actually was contacted by a player who's, well, no, I contacted him actually, um, who went public with some, some struggles that he had. And I apologized to him because I said, you know, I read the, the articles he'd done and I said, look, I, I, in hindsight, I can see that you were hurting and I just thought you were being difficult. 
And he apologized back and he was like, no, you know what? I was just being difficult and I needed help and I didn't know what to do. And I was lashing out at people around me, including you. And I know I made your your job a lot harder. And we kind of just spoke about it. We're just like, we both sort of end up apologizing to each other. And it, it we, I think we both felt better about it because I don't think either of us sort of club, covered ourselves in, in glory on, on that. And I think the, the, the ability to know when you're wrong and, and, and know when you made a mistake, and everyone makes mistakes, whether it's players or player care or whoever. And I think when you've got a good enough relationship where people know that you're trustworthy and that you do your best and, you know, sometimes you do make a mistake, then they're going to be a lot more forgiving. So, you know, I think it's, it's important to focus on the successes, but really for, important to not only focus on the negatives, but to learn from them and make sure it doesn't happen again. And, and I'm confident that every time I've made a mistake or something, you know, a player's not worked out, I've tried to analyze why that's happened. And, you know, rarely is it just, it didn't work out. There's always some sort of reason. It could be more on the club side, it could be more on the player's side. Um, but always there's, you know, we've got good budgets, we've got good resources. There should be a way to fix, you know, nearly any problem. Um, especially when you live in like, you know, when you're at a London club, you've got so many resources here in the city that, you know, it should be possible to solve the majority of the issues. The financial impact of COVID, the self-isolation period involved with most travel, coupled with the traditional difficulties of the January market have made it a very quiet window at present, which is perfect for taking a deeper look at transfers, for going between the lines. And I hope this episode has given you a wider perspective on the hugely important player welfare side. Thanks to our guests. Thanks for listening and drop us a rating or feedback if you're enjoying the show. You can do that wherever you get your pods. Between the Lines is a Stakhanov production. Written and narrated by me, Melissa Reddy. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Our assistant producer is Natalie Wilson. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. 